Homestyle Green, episode 138. Even Joe Stebrook, the guy whose name really does come to mind first when you think of building science, reads the Energy Vanguard blog. And today, I speak with author Dr. Alison Bales. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. Now, Dr. Alison Bales is firstly a guy and secondly, uh, but certainly not least, is an incredible um, writer, author, blogger and educator about building science. He's actually a, his PhD is in physics and that's where he started, but he built his first house, which was a inspired by one of his um, professors and uh, to be a very low energy house, and that got him hooked. So it's an absolute pleasure to have Dr. Bowers on the show. But before we get into our interview, just want to say thank you to our great sponsors, ProClimber, and also this week, Fantech. Now, I spoke to Dennis Dowling, who is the builder uh, of high-performance homes down in Queenstown about why he likes working with Proclima. There, there are several different products on the market, and I suppose Proclima um, benefits from brand leadership. Um, also, they have um, quite a good R&D process, and I suppose fundamentally I'm fairly risk-adverse, so while I'm very open to trying new things and looking at things differently and trying to create a new way of, of getting from A to B, um, I don't necessarily like doing that on untested or untried products. And Proclima has, you know, a very long time of being in the market. So while it's relatively new to the New Zealand market, it's been in the market for a long time. And it's in a lot of very large markets, and it does very well. And, it, and as a result of that, it has a system that goes with it. It has a process to follow. It's, it, you can see videos on how it works. People have an understanding of it. It's a relatable um, product to those in the industry who are building in this space. Um, so as a result, um, it's very easy to get any information that you want on it. And further to that, when you come across something, because New Zealand loves to build bespoke architecture, when you come to something that's a little bit different or unique, oftentimes, if there isn't a direct um, comparison that's been done before, there is at least the knowledge resource bank to get that information to you um, that addresses your specific concern. I'm very pleased to announce that this week's episode of Homestyle Green is also brought to us by Fantech. Now, Fantech are all about intelligent ventilation. And that's what you need when uh, you're dealing with ventilation because it's critically important to getting a good performing home. But unfortunately, there's a lot of bad ideas out there about ventilation. Some people just want to sell you a system, a one-size-fits-all system. But the guys at Fantech really know their stuff. They've got some very, very high-quality um, vents and duct systems. And most importantly, they also know all about true heat recovery. So these are the ones where you have uh, an actual heat recovery unit and you're sourcing fresh air, good fresh air from the outside when you need it. So check them out, fantechhrv.co.nz or just search for Fantech and you'll find all you need to know about intelligent ventilation. Now with that, let's get on with the show. So I started out by asking Dr. Alison Bales why he does what he does. 
Well, that's uh, a great question, and it, it, it's not the same answer that I would have given 20 years ago, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it's like anything, the more you learn about something, the, the more reasons you see for doing it. Right. And the uh, when I first got into it, it was mostly about energy efficiency. I, I grew up uh, in the 60s and 70s as a kid, and, you know, I remember back in the early 70s, the environment was all over the news and, and Earth Day and pollution and all this stuff. And so I got really into environmental stuff and then into energy efficiency from there uh, because my background was – I got into physics and um, so the energy side of it was really interesting to me. So in graduate school, my thesis advisor built an off-the-grid solar house and I got to watch her do that and and help a tiny little bit. But I thought, man, that's what I want to do. I want to – even before that, I wanted to have a homestead someday and have a farm and and have a nice, energy-efficient green home. So eventually I did that in 2001 and bought the land, built the house, spent two years doing it on the power of pure self-delusion because (laughs) for two years I was always just two months from being done. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like two months, build. I'll be living in that house. Yeah, yeah. If I'd known from the beginning it was going to take two years, I don't know if I could have faced the whole thing. But so, um, you know, it was mostly about energy efficiency and environmental. Uh, but the more I I've gotten into this, the, the more it's it's about um, other other factors as well. Those are still very important. But but when you learn building science, you learn that. Oh my gosh! The, these houses and buildings that that we live and work in have so many problems. Yeah. Like the office. I mean, we we don't have our own building in our, in my company. We we rent an office, and um, one of the things we do is is design of heating, air conditioning, and ventilation systems. Yep. And the office that we are in is an example of how not to do it. <laughs> the opposite of of good design yeah. and installation. So. And what effect does that have? Like, what, what, what does? How does that make you feel? Well, it, it, it um, you know, the office where I work, um, there's a bunch of offices in the building, and the it, it's a forced air system, heating and cooling, and yeah. the the return vents are in the the common area, and all the supply vents are in the offices and the doors to most of the offices down here and the, on the floor where I am stay closed. So all the supply air goes into the offices and the return air and the, the common space. And so the common space runs a big negative pressure. I'm sure sucking nasty, moldy, moist air from the crawl space below. And... Um, so there's indoor air quality issues and uh, and certainly comfort issues. So you know, the the two big things in addition to energy and, uh, and environment that uh, have probably been added to my focus are, are um, indoor air quality, you know, the health side of it, and comfort. Right. So, is that something that people are becoming more aware of that? the health and the comfort is that what's more of a driver right now is it the environmental stuff or is it the health and comfort it's well i was a home performance contractor for a while uh, about a decade ago and the biggest contracts that i got were from people whose interest was either comfort or 
or indoor air quality. Yeah. The, when I went to a home and talked to the homeowners and and they started asking me about payback and and you know the cost of the improvements versus how much their savings would be and stuff like that, I I, I almost never got much of a contract on, from those people. It's, really? It's, so the the return on investment uh, just doesn't work as a sales pitch. Yeah, it depends. It depends on how far you go. There is definitely some good return on investment, and uh, I've got friends in California who are contractors and who have yeah. great return on investment, and they do some very extensive work. Um, California has some some programs and incentives that a lot of other places don't have. Like we have some incentives here in Georgia. Yep. But, so the uh, but but it's not so much that it's just the the people whose interest is making their house right for being comfortable or for being healthful are are more likely to spend the money that it takes to fix it yeah and how do people become aware of that because it's it's all well if you know you've got a problem with health uh and it's being caused by the house then the logical thing is to go and find a solution for that but do you think most people are aware that their houses and their buildings are causing some problems? Uh, no, no. In fact, um, one, uh, one house I worked on about a decade ago was a friend's house. And we, we did uh, crawl space encapsulation. He had a vented crawl space. This is in the southeastern U.S. It's very humid. And crawl spaces here, vented crawl spaces here, are often um, wet and moldy and full of stuff that you don't want to be breathing. So just just and, to clarify, because call <laughs> different parts of buildings different things. So crawl space, yep. you're talking about underneath the house, uh, like the foundation, yes. the pilings right. and, and right. joists. Right. Yeah. Some people refer to attics as crawl spaces. <laughs> right. So, so that that is the attic. Would that be this, this is, the yeah. ceiling that uh, up above as well? Um. Well, the, what I'm talking about is, is just the foundation. So right. below, okay. below the floor. Yep. He had an old house, very leaky floor, and so we did the crawl space encapsulation, and so the crawl space got much drier, and the air got better. And he told me sometime later, not not that long afterwards, that he um, he used to before we did that work, he would wake up in the morning and he would go through this the sneezing fit pretty much every day he would wake up uh -huh. and he would sneeze yeah and then we did the work on the crawl space and suddenly he doesn't sneeze in the morning anymore yeah so, right um yeah but again so he the, didn't he didn't come to you because he had a sneezing problem right so yeah that was that was that was a benefit he got that he didn't have any idea he was going to get which kind of makes you think what else is going on for people who are living in homes that aren't necessarily aware of it because i mean i always say that this stuff is is not very sexy because our houses are killing us slowly, rather than right. um, other more exciting um, uh, professions where where people save lives in a much quicker and and in a more, much more uh, exciting way. Yeah. Uh, and and I I I don't know what the the solution for that is to raise the awareness, but. I mean, you spent time as a as a teacher as well after after being in in academia. Do you think that time spent as a teacher has helped you in that role of as, as an educator and and um, advocate for improved in, uh, home performance? 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I see my main role as as teacher. I, I write a blog that's very popular, and and I do speaking events and training classes, and and yeah, I see my main role as as teacher. So definitely. you've got a, you've got a great. It is very popular. Um, I I think probably one of the the greatest people to be um, uh, recognized by would be Joe uh, Steebrook, who who said. It's a fabulous blog written by a guy with a girl's name. He also has numbers after it. What is up? What's about that? <laughs> yeah, that's Joe. That's Joe. Yeah. He's a bit of a character. He's definitely on my list. I'd love to get Joe on on this show. But to get an endorsement yeah. for someone like him, who's pretty much, he's the man as far as building yeah. science goes. Um, yeah. So clearly a very high quality blog. So I definitely recommend people uh, checking that out. And um, uh, and that that's probably a good way to keep up to date with with what's going on for you is it yep yep and and uh, you know i'll just put the url out there since you didn't mention it. yeah it's, it's energyvanguard.com energyvanguard.com where did the name come from well i was uh in 2008 starting the company get, getting ready to start the company and and just mulling over lots of different names and of course every time i would think of a name i'd have to go to the to the browser and and type it in to see if somebody had that URL already yeah. that domain name, and and so I tried a bunch of different things and and I like that one the best. It's it's a I don't know. I mean, one one person told me it had too many syllables, but I uh. like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. It's it's. Uh, I think it it sums up um, the what you do and 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 sort of the. It's a little bit gorilla, you know. It's a little bit. Um, you have to uh, rattle a few cages, I think, and and uh, and that uh, I think encapsulates it quite nicely. Um, Thank you. Now, you mentioned encapsulation. That's not a term that a lot of listeners would necessarily be familiar with. What does that mean when you when you do a crawl space encapsulation? Wh- what are you doing? Well, you are sealing it up because uh, uh, the the standard crawl space foundation here in in north america anyway is is one that's vented to the outside so you've got you've got foundation walls all the way around the perimeter of the house and then every every 10 feet or so you've got a foundation vent which allows air to to move between the 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 inside of the crawl space and the outdoors Mm -hmm. and the idea when the, they came up with this a long time ago was that, well, under the house, you've got this soil and you've got this damp air under the house. So you put vents in the foundation walls and the damp air will go out the vents and dry air from outdoors will come in and dry the crawl space out. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But apparently the whoever came up with that idea doesn't really or didn't really understand humidity and in, in a humid climate like pretty much the whole eastern side of the of North America. And I don't know what New Zealand's like, but our here, average is about eighty percent relative humidity across the board. A lot of people think oh. that that there's a big variation. There's some variation across the country, but it's pretty much eighty percent. Okay. Well we'll have to talk about that later because um you must you must have missed one of my articles about the problem with relative humidity. <laughs> right. The um it, it, it's it's better to think about it in terms of dew point rather than relative humidity, because yeah. the relative humidity changes throughout the day. You know, depending on what the temperature is. Yep. But so, um, 
if you have a, a vented crawl space, the idea is that outdoor air comes in and dries it out, but it turns out that the outdoor air may have a lower relative humidity than the, the crawl space air when it comes in, but it's mm -hmm. at a higher temperature. And so it actually holds more humidity than the air in the crawl space. So when you when you vent the crawl space air out and the outdoor air in, you end up putting more humidity into the crawl space. You're you're not drying it out in in a humid climate. Right, which brings back to your comment there about the danger of relative humidity because yep. relative humidity yep. doesn't tell you how much moisture is in the air unless you know right. what the temperature is as well. Right, right. So um, I can see why uh, a PhD in building physics, or in, in just in physics in general, <laughs> suddenly becomes very useful because yep. um, uh, I think people, under, people understand temperature, people understand um, uh, sort of um, moisture, but humidity gets complicated. Humidity, it's, it's weird yes. stuff. Oh, yeah. And and then you start yep. talking about vapor and um you know, all these yep. other these other weird things are latent heat and, and sensible heat, it just gets yep. really weird. Yep, yep, it sure does. Um but yeah, one of the, one of my favorite topics to discuss in our blog is the psychrometric chart. Yeah. Which which cover you know, it, it, it relates relative humidity and dew point and vapor pressure and temperature. Uh, different kinds of temperatures, dry bulb temperature, wet bulb temperature, dew point temperature. And I think there are nine nine primary psychrometric quantities shown on a psychrometric yeah. chart. So yeah. it, it can be a little intimidating at first. Yeah. But getting back to your question about what is encapsulation, though. So you know, the standard crawl space has these vents, which don't dry it out in a humid climate. Uh -huh. And... So the the best thing to do is to seal those vents up, or if it's new construction, just not put them in if you can get the building inspector to go for that. And and our codes here in the U.S. now allow you to build a new house without vents on the, in the crawl space. And then you um, you seal up the the ground. You put a vapor barrier down on the ground, yep. and you seal all the seams. You seal it to the foundation walls. You you wrap the piers and seal that up. So, because you've also got water vapor that comes up from the ground, it comes through the foundation walls, and it comes in the vents. So you wanna you wanna address all of those areas. And, That's interesting because um, we're definitely gone. We've gone down that path of of putting the ground vapor barrier, so putting polythene sheet on the ground, pegging that down. But we're very much into keeping the the side vents open um, because of that understanding of the, having the importance of the airflow going through. But you're saying the whole thing should be sealed up because moisture yep. is coming in um, with the air. Yep. Yep. So is this an example of where an idea has kind of stuck from a false assumption, and you mentioned inspect. You know, could you convince the inspectors? The inspectors are on that dogma of, oh, you've got to have ventilation in there. Yep. The the physics says otherwise. Yep. Um, but the the code maybe have not caught up with the latest thinking or the understanding of that. Is that a common problem in the in the building industry where we're sort of stuck in a, a an old way of thinking that's <laughs> yeah. maybe not right? Oh yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that and crawl spaces are are one of many areas like this. Uh, vapor barriers. Let, let you know. Let's 
We could spend an hour talking about vapor barriers. <laughs> we could. <laughs> what are some of those other areas that that maybe we're continuing to do things um, incorrectly because it's just the way we've always done them? Well, uh, so some of the, the most popular articles in my blog are the ones that are on some of these things, topics like this. One, yeah. you know, um, should you put a vapor barrier in a wall or not? And um, powered attic ventilators. So if you vent your attic, uh, it's, it's you know you, there, there are similar issues with venting attics to venting crawl spaces. And the venting attics is in the codes, and it's you know a lot of people insist on on venting attics, but there's not a lot of research that shows that venting an attic actually does any good. Yeah. Whether whether it's in a, crawl, a cold climate or a hot climate. So. Oh, I wondered about that because we have a, a huge proliferation here. About 10% of our houses have been retrofitted with um, positive pressure systems, which effectively ventilate from the the attic and the, the roof space down into the condition space, which just sounds like a really bad idea to me. But um, it's it's been yeah. sold on the promise of uh, initially people uh, believed that it was getting them free heat because it's always hot up in your roof space and you could you could use some of that. Um, but then it's also, uh, the thinking is that it, it's warmer, drier air that you're being pulled into the house and pushing out some of the, the more stale uh, humid air. But on that theory that you've just described for the the foundation space, it, it the logical assumption would be, well, you're just going to bring pulling more um, water vapor and moisture into the house, um, probably from not a very clean space. Yes. Yeah, and that, that was my first uh, thought when you said that is, well, I, the air in, in attics isn't that great to be breathing. And, no. uh, you know, to push that into your house, you, you know, you do want ventilation air, but you don't want it to come from a space like an attic. You want you want it to come from outdoors, where you get the, where you can bring it in and from a known location and controlled quantities and and uh, not not from an attic, not from a crawl space, not from a garage. So here's the thing, though: the challenge for building scientists and building physics people is that these things appear to work. So anyone who's installed a positive pressure ventilation system raves about them. They love them because when they turned on, they don't get condensation on their windows and they swear by their house being drier and more comfortable. So how do you combat that? Or is that is that actually true? Well, yeah, and that, that's the first question. Is it true? And and if so, what's what's really causing it? Um, I'm not familiar with this type of system that you're talking about. You know, I haven't heard of anything like that here in the states. So um. yeah, well, but, I mean, it's, it's just a very simple um, supply only uh, positive pressure. Um, but it's, but it's, and it's pulling air from the attic and putting it directly into the house. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that just <laughs> uh, that sounds really weird to me. Um, <laughs> I'm pleased to hear you say that. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's 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 unbelievably common here. We're starting to get ahead around um, true heat recovery ventilation, where they actually have a, uh, a heat recovery unit there, um, but they 
are a lot more expensive in the market. So people tend to just go for the really simple um, option. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, just just moving on from that, one of the other things that maybe in a similar vein uh, as to the way we've always done things. Do you have any thoughts on the the recent article um, of Martin Holliday's, which I interviewed um, Lloyd Alter last week about mm-hmm. the the passive solar design concepts, um, particularly around the usefulness of of thermal mass? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything Martin said there. It's in the seventies here in in, the, in North America. Passive solar was a big deal, and people were putting barrels of water in their living room and and uh, to, you know for thermal mass to, yeah. to capture this and hold onto that heat from the the solar gain and um, you know a lot of those houses weren't very attractive and and with they were overglazed so they would overheat and um, yeah Martin's written about this topic a lot he's got another article somewhere where he talks about the history of super insulation versus um, the, the solar and yeah passive solar and active solar for heating homes and and he said that super insulation won out and you know the the the, the passive solar ideas are still out there and some people are still trying to incorporate them in fact the, you know i i fell for that too the house that i built in 2001 didn't have the thermal mass, but it definitely had passive solar features. We we had it facing south, lots of big windows and overhangs, and I calculated. I used the trigonometry and calculated the, the overhangs so that I would get uh, full sun in winter and no sun in summer, and it was really cool. The, uh, at the equinoxes, the shadows were halfway across the windows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, right right um, on 12 o'clock, it was all good. Yep, yep. But... Um, you know the, the the more important thing than than the solar gain is is build a, a house with a really good enclosure, airtight and well insulated, and that way you don't need much heat. Now the whole the the passive house concept is a good one, and uh, you know you want to minimize the amount of extra heating or cooling that you need, and and keep the indoor environment as tightly controlled as possible. You don't want to lose a lot of heat through the building closure or gain a lot of heat through the enclosure. You want to um, have as little as possible going across the building enclosure, so you have to supply as little as possible with the mechanical systems. Now, I was just listening back to an, an interview you did on the Indoor Air Quality Show with uh, Joe Hughes and uh, Cliff yeah. um, uh-huh. uh, from – that was two years ago now – and in that, you talked about um, how in Georgia air tests were introduced. Was it in 2011, air tests? Yes, yep. Um, in that state. So now that's obviously leading on to that. So people are recognizing the, the benefit of air tightness um, mm-hmm. across the board, not just um, building science geeks. Yep. What brought that about? That was again going back to the 2009 uh, and Obama getting the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act passed and having all that money for weatherization that had the stipulation that you had to adopt the energy code. So 
Georgia was an early adopter. Uh, and we got on the 2009 Energy Code, and it went into effect in 2011. And um, we were the first state to require blower door testing. And people from the state of Washington sometimes say, well, no, we did it at the same time. Right. But builders could could build a house and get the house tested, but they could still get their certificate of occupancy even if they didn't pass the test. In Georgia, you actually had to pass the test. Wow. <laughs> and how did that so, go down in the industry? Uh, well, you know, as always, there's some grumbling about it, but it's it's not that big a deal. And the blower door test is not very expensive. Um and, and what our threshold was not very high. You know, it's still the same. It hasn't changed since then. It's, it's seven air changes per hour at 50 pascals. I don't know if that's what you use yeah, here yeah, in New Zealand. Yeah. But it's so been, the, point is, the okay. point is it's being measured. And it's also yep. putting air yep. tightness up there uh, as, a, as a recognized um, important parameter in energy efficiency alongside insulation. And... Has that always been there in in Georgia and and around those states, or you know what was it that suddenly made people realize that oh hey perhaps an airtight enclosure is a good thing? Well, I think some some people, some builders uh, who have to get this test done in their houses still probably don't believe it's a good thing, but they yeah. have to do it. Uh, in fact, I know of one builder who said that that. Um, she she just didn't think that it was a good idea to get all this air tightness because she she had some moisture problems and she attributed that to the house being too tight. Right. In fact, it was something else, but uh, she had her idea about what what it was. So, what was causing it? Well, it was it was lack of moisture control in the from the crawl space. Right. Uh, yeah. So. Um. I mean that is very much the 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 feeling here and in Australia and, and I know other parts as well who people general consumers people who are looking at houses we mentioned the word air tightness and they freak out it's like oh I don't want to live in a in a sealed up house and it yeah, that can't be healthy and um, all this sort of thinking is how do you how do we overcome that? Well, we just uh, keep saying the truth that that air tightness is a good thing because if I mean the, in all my my uh, presentations where I I discuss this issue, I have a slide that says, and I I like to ask the question and let people discuss it and think about it for a while first before I give them the answer. Right. And the question is, can we can we build a house too tight? And so they discuss it, and and more and more people are are. Uh, the majority of people are coming in on the side of of no, we can't build a house too tight. But occasionally, you know, there's there's still people out there who who don't think that. And mm -hmm. uh, so then I pull up my slide and show that. Okay, so if you if you don't want to seal up the house, you don't want to do all the air sealing because you're going to make it too tight. What you're saying is you want to rely on random leaks in the building enclosure for fresh air and those those random leaks are going to bring air in from your moldy crawl space down below. They're going to bring air in from the the, the attached garage with all the, the chemical soup in the air out there. They're going to suck air through that dead squirrel 
sitting on the top plate in the <laughs> attic and through the dirty insulation. That would that would um, be a possum for us. A possum. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> we yeah you know, we have lots similar of smell here. Similar smell probably. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, you know, relying on random leaks doesn't mean you have fresh air. The 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 issue is you want a house to be as tight as possible, but you do need you some exchange of air with the outside and you do that mechanically with a mechanical ventilation system. You don't rely on random leaks. People would also say that the structure needs some ventilation because um, what if moisture accumulates somewhere interstitially in the, in the framing? Well, there is such a thing as, uh, I don't know if, what you call it there, but here we have something called a vented rain screen, yep. which does yep. provide... So a vented, uh, um, yeah, it's, drained it's, and vented cavity. Yeah, venting behind the cladding. Yep. And th this has been done for a long time with brick, but now we're starting to do it with with uh, siding and, and um, other types of cladding, and, and it helps the uh, the assemblies to dry out if they do get wet. And this yeah. is this is really important now that we have switched from plywood to oriented strand board OSB, and um, because OSB doesn't dry as well as plywood did, so the the vented rain screen is is a really important thing to to get in there if you're doing uh, OSB sheathing. Yeah, yeah. Um, we like like vapor barriers we could probably talk about the perfect wall for a long time but people should probably just go and um <laughs> read up uh, joe joe steebrook's uh wealth of information he's, he's written a lot about the perfect wall so um uh, i'll put some links to that people can go and go and check that out where is the best place to find you allison uh, well, uh, I hope pretty soon it's going to be on ski slopes. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> In a couple months, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, uh, LinkedIn is, yep. uh, is a place where I spend a lot of time lately. I'm on LinkedIn, and, and I've got the Facebook company page, Energy Vanguard, and I'm on Twitter. Uh, actually, I'm on Twitter in three places. Right. The at at Energy Vanguard, at Allison Bales, and at Dr. Scrimshaw. Right. Cool. <laughs> and just before we finish, what would you say would be the top um, three things that people need to do to get things right in their home? Three things people need to do to get things right in their home. Well, it depends on the home. I mean, what what are their issues and what what climate zone are there? So, I mean, that, that's a hard question to answer in general terms. But I would, if if you're going to force me to say something in general terms that would be broadly applicable, I would say, um, make the home airtight because that's true pretty much everywhere yep. although if you're in a place like hawaii and you don't need heating or cooling air tightness doesn't matter right but if if you're in a place where there's heating or cooling or both then then air tightness is a really good thing and yep. then along with that uh, mechanical ventilation if, you know if you if definitely if you're doing a new home and making it airtight um Plan on mechanical ventilation. Yep. And um, so another one, if you're doing forced air, the, one of the things that drives me absolutely nuts is to go into houses and sometimes very expensive 
multi-million dollar houses with really crappy duct systems. Flex duct bent all kinds of ways and, and the ductopus where you're almost never going to get good airflow. So the house is going to have comfort problems. It's not going to be efficient. They're going to have to put an oversized uh, air conditioner or heating system on on there just to force air enough air through the, the duct system to make it almost comfortable. So huge problems with those things. So get get the the HVAC design right would be and, and I guess for the, for that you need to be talking to someone who specializes in that field versus a uh, a ventilation salesperson or or relying on your builder or your architect unless they yeah, really yeah, know this um, stuff uh, I've got an article on LinkedIn called the HVAC industry is broken and yeah. as some people pointed out you know I you, you could you could change that for insulation industry, home building industry, just about anything. Yep. But the, I spent a lot of time with HVAC, so that that one, as I said, drives me crazy. Yeah. And um, I was going to make a point about something somebody said in there, but I forget what it was. So, so um, air tightness, ducts, pretty ducts. much everywhere. Air tightness, air tightness. Oh yeah, oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, the you were you were just saying you know who do you go to uh, there there are some good HVAC contractors who uh -huh. can actually do a good design on a system and install it and commission it properly but most of them can't or won't and so there there are third party HVAC designers that people can hire you know and this is mainly for new construction if you've yeah. got an existing home find find a good Home performance contractor, assessor, uh, energy auditor, whatever it's called in your location, and somebody who can assess the building. Properly. I think the problem here is that it, they're not called anything because they don't really exist. Yeah. <laughs> but but I but this it's fa it's excellent stuff because that that is absolutely I think what what we need is someone who can have third party independent verification of of this system. So are you talking about assessors who can come and verify? Uh, the commissioned work. Yep, yep. Yeah, or or an, an existing home. Just you know, look at the house and and find out what the what the issues are. What what are the most important things to fix? What 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 would a comprehensive fix look like? Yeah, yeah. And give you some recommendations on that kind of stuff. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you very much, uh, Alison. Really appreciate your time today. And I will encourage people to go over and um, make sure they sign up to your uh, email newsletter. And they can also Good. follow you on LinkedIn and Twitter and uh, various other places. And if you're in the States, you, um, you're you a speaker. So people should uh, should book oh, yeah. you as a, as, a, as a speaker to come and talk about all this stuff as well. That's right. Yeah, especially if you're in a, a location that has skiing. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Since the theme here, we have good skiing in uh, in Queenstown, and that's where we have some of our best performing homes as well because they need to. So um, yeah. you'll have to make a trip down here to Queenstown sometime. I would I would love to come to New Zealand sometime. Yeah, yeah it's been on my list. Awesome. But it's it's all the way on the other side of the world. In it fact, is. It you're, is. you're all the way into tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> this is true. This is true. Well, tomorrow's tomorrow's looking very bright at the moment. I can tell you that. Good. Hey, well, thank you very much, Alison. Appreciate your time. Very welcome, Matthew. Dr. Allison Bales there, and I highly recommend going and checking out the Energy Vanguard blog and signing up to the newsletter.
I have. I haven't signed up to many newsletters. Newsletters. I try and keep uh, a bit of a lean email inbox, but that is definitely one that is worth reading that I recommend. So check them out, energyvanguard.com. Um, you can also follow uh, Alison at uh, Alison Bales on Twitter and Twitter is uh, on Twitter you can also follow Energy Vanguard just at Energy Vanguard. I'll put those links and more up on uh, the episode show notes for this which will be available at homestylegreen.com forward slash 138. Thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you found that interesting. If you did, head on over to the Facebook page and leave a comment or you can also comment directly on the show notes page as well for this uh, episode. It'd be great to get your thoughts on that. That's it for this week. I'm Matthew Cutler-Welsh. Now go make a better place to live. <laughs>